in week two of our series called Made Whole, our Christmas series. And uh, if you showed up today full of anxiety, if you came today riddled with worry, if you came today out of sorts because of some upheaval in your life, well, you came to the right place. Because we're going to talk about the peace of God today and about how you can have the peace of God. We talk a lot about peace at Christmas, Christmas time. And so we want to talk about how can you have, how can that peace that God has be translated, transferred into your heart, into your mind. Um, our text for today comes from Acts chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip over there. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5 here in just a moment. But let me give you just a little bit of background what's going on when we get to Acts chapter 12. The church has been flourishing. Um, it's been a decade or so since uh, Jesus has been resurrected and returned on up to heaven. The church has been growing and it's expanded beyond just Jerusalem. Now it's expanded to places like Joppa. It's expanded to places like Antioch, places like Samaria. It's expanded out to Damascus. So it's kind of all over that region that we know as Israel, north all the way up into Syria. And uh, so that's where we pick up the story today. Again, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and flip over there. If you would, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 12, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Peter has been arrested, or that's what we're going to see happen here. So let's go ahead and read about that. Here we go, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, let's kind of walk through these verses together. We'll go a little bit further than what we just read, but let's get a sense of what's happening here. It begins there by saying that now about that time, Herod the king... Um, had laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Again, this church that had begun to expand. Now, the Herod that's talked about here is King Herod Agrippa I. And the reason that I tell you that is because we know that King Herod Agrippa I uh, was ruler over Judea, over that part of the world, for only three years, from the years 41 to 44 AD. So that dating of Herod Agrippa I in this text helps us date the book of Acts, and more specifically, it helps us date when this story approximately took place. Verse 2, it says, he, he, that is Herod, had killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Now, this is a different James than the James uh, that wrote the book of James in the Bible. This is a different James than James who was the brother of Jesus. Uh, this was James who was the brother of John. James and John, both two of the 12 disciples of Jesus. So James has just been killed by Herod Agrippa the first. Verse three, verse 3, it says, And when he saw that this pleased the Jews... He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, that is, during the feast of Passover. Verse 4, And when he, Herod, had seized him, he put Peter in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers. Quite a few soldiers. This is not four different guys with swords. This is four groups of guys who were guarding um, Peter, it says, to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring Peter out to the people, that is, to kill Peter. Verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer continued for him, was made for him to God by the church. Verse 6, when Herod was about to bring Peter out to kill him, to cut his head off, that very night it says that Peter was asleep. Peter was sleeping. The guy was back there sawing logs between two soldiers, had a guard on his right, had a guard on his left. 
And he was bound, it says, with two chains, and there were sentries outside the door, sentries before the door, who were guarding the door of his prison cell, and this four squads of soldiers were, uh, were between him and, and freedom. Okay, so do you get the sense here that Herod had no intention of Peter escaping? You get that sense, right? Okay, so four squads of soldiers, he's in chains, bolted to the wall, soldier on either side of him in his prison cell, soldiers outside, with, outside the doors of his prison cell, and then soldiers between him and, and freedom, uh, squads of soldiers between him and freedom. Verse 7 says, And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared, stood next to Peter in the cell. A light shone in the cell, that is like a big giant spotlight just went on, right? Not just a little incandescent bulb, but a big spotlight came on with the angel showing up there. It says, verse 7, And the angel struck Peter in the side, that is in his ribs, and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off of Peter's hands. Verse 8, And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals, get ready for action. He did so. And so he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Verse 9, a little bit more. And he went out and followed him. Peter didn't know if what was being done to him was real. He was kind of like, Am I in a dream? Am I having some sort of a vision here? What's going on? I don't understand this. Is this really happening to me that I just, my chains fell off, that I'm out of the prison cell? We're making our way out of this prison. Is this really happening? Verse 10 When they had passed the first and the second guards, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It just opened of its own accord, it says. The gate just literally just swung open. And in verse 10, and when they went out and went along one of the streets, and immediately the angel left him. You say, Gordon, how did that chains fall off of Peter's hands? How did this iron gate swing open? How did Peter tiptoe past, walk past all these guards? How did all this happen? I mean, four squads of soldiers between him and freedom. How did this particularly happen? Well, I don't know how it happened. Maybe the angel said, you will remove these restraints and leave this cell with the door open. There's not a Star Wars fan in here, is there? <laughs> okay, anyway, you'll go, go look that line up later after. I thought it was a pretty good line, but anyway. I, I always have to explain my jokes. Why does, that Why does that happen? Anyway, end of verse 10, it says, And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left Peter, just disappeared. Verse 11, last verse, it says, And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that, Jesus, uh, that the Lord Jesus has sent his angels and rescued me. This wasn't some vision that I just experienced. I mean, pinching myself, this is real. I'm really outside of the prison now. Um, he says, And rescued me from the hand of Herod, and all that the Jewish elites and the conspirators were expecting. And what exactly were the Jewish elites and the conspirators expecting was going to happen to Peter? Well, they were expecting that he was going to have his head chopped off. That was what they were expecting to happen. And then if you continue reading in Acts chapter 12, Peter goes to the house where the church was gathered praying for him, and he knocks on the door, and a young lady comes, and she opens the door, and she says, Ah, it's Peter. She shuts the door back in his face, goes back in and tells everybody, Hey, Peter's outside. They're like, You're crazy. You're out of your mind. There's no way. They're in there praying, Lord Jesus, please. Please let Peter be rescued. Please let Peter be okay. And she says, no, really. She's like, you're absolutely out of your mind. So they finally, Peter bangs on the door, and they, somebody comes and gets him, and they all celebrate that Peter's safe and sound, and he's back with the church together. So um, that's our text for today. That's our treatment of this story. And so that means it's time for us to ask the wonderful question, the question we ask every week. Are y'all fond of that question? It's been, I've been here, somebody asked me the other day, said, how long have you been preaching at Hebrew? And I said, 13 years I've been asking that question. What difference does all this make to my life? Um, so that's our question that we ask every week around here. Um, what, is, what difference does this make to me, right, Gordon? It's Christmas time. You're preaching about Peter getting out of prison. I mean, how, what does this have to do with baby Jesus? What does any of this have to do with Christmas? What difference does this make to my life? Well, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. If you would, look back at verse 4 with me for just a moment. Verse 4. There's so many good points that we could pull out of this text. 
But let's specifically look at one of these here, point to one of them. Verse 4, it says, And when Herod had seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to remember our four squads, not four soldiers, but four squads of soldiers, um, intending after the Passover to bring him out to kill him, right? That's what he's going to do. Just like they brought Jesus out during Passover, and they were going to kill one of these guys, they were going to bring Peter out, and they were intending to kill Peter as kind of part of the Passover celebration, if you would, to appease the Jews. Now watch what happens, verse 6. It says, when Herod was about to bring Peter out that very night, the very night he was going to bring Peter out, it says, Peter was what? Sleeping. How is that? You ever had a night when the next day you knew you had something really big and important, right? You had, you're going to get married the next day, you know? or, uh, or you had some big decision ahead of you, or you're going to travel the next day, and you just had trouble sleeping that night, right? Peter knows he's going to get his head cut off the next morning, and yet he's asleep. He's over there sawing logs. And not only with that, but he was bound with chains, right? He had a guard on his right. He had a guard on his left. He had sentries outside of his door. And how soundly was Peter sleeping? Look at what it says in verse 7. It says, And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared and stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. Now, I've never seen an angel before. Never had one appear to me. I don't know, maybe some of y'all have had an angel appear to you, but I can only imagine, as you read through the text, and whenever an angel shows up, it kind of creates a little bit of a ruckus, right? There's a little bit of a something going on. You know, the angel shows up, boom, the ground kind of shakes a little bit. The, like, the, the rings of dust, you know, roll out from the angel, and there's all this light that shines. Um, you know, the angels don't just tiptoe in, right? They show up with a little bit of an announcement of that they're here. Uh, we read about that at this time of year where the angels shone in the sky and they're singing glory to God in the highest and the shepherds are kind of, wow, right? Because these angels are there in front of them. And it says that a light shone in the cell. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to sleep in the dark. When somebody turns a light on, my, my, my wife turns a light on in the morning, that always wakes me up. I, that's one, one of the ways that we get our girls to, to wake up in the morning. I go in there, I turn their fans off, right? Because they sleep with the fan. Some of y'all like the fan. They sleep with the fan, but then I also turn their light on because that light, kind of lets their brain say, hey, look, it's time to, time to get up, time to wake up. And so this angel shows up, and this, again, is not some little incandescent light bulb, some little fluorescent, you know, nightlight kind of thing. This is an angel with all the glory of heaven emanating from this angel, and it shows up, and this light's just bursting in every corner, in every crevice of this prison cell. And what does Peter wake up? No, he's still sleeping right? He's got all this stuff going through his mind, and yet he's asleep. He's got this angel that shows up, boom, and he's still asleep. The angel shows up, it's shining all this light, Peter's still asleep. So what does the angel have to do to wake him up? Well, look at what it says there in verse 7. It says that the angel had to struck him, struck him in the side, that is, poke him in the ribs in order to wake him up. Peter was sleeping like a baby. You say, Gordon, how is it Peter is sleeping like a baby when he's got all those things waiting on him the next morning? When he's got all this other stuff going on, how is it that Peter's sleeping through all this stuff? Well, Peter tells us the answer over in 1 Peter, a book that he wrote. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, Casting all your anxieties upon him, that is Christ, because he cares for you. Friends, lying there in that jail cell, Peter did not have a care in the world. Even though he's going to be executed the next day knew that it was going to happen. It already happened to James. What's going to cause a stay of his execution? Nothing. He's going to die tomorrow. And yet he doesn't have a care in the world. He had offloaded all of his worries. He had offloaded all of his anxieties. He had offloaded all of his concerns 
he didn't have a care in the world. He was just snoring and sleeping away. The Bible says, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul writes it like this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That is, offload all of your concerns on him, offload all of your worries on him, offload all of the stuff that's running racing through your mind, that you're running around in a frazzle with your hair on fire, right, and trying to take care of and put the fires out. It says un- unload, offload all of that stuff, and look at what happens when you do that. Look at the next verse, Philippians 4 and verse 7. And the what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that it is supernatural peace. It's peace that comes from God. This is not a peace that just wells up on the inside of you, some sort of inner strength that you just summon. This is peace that comes from outside of you. This is peace that comes to you, the peace of God into your life in the middle of that situation. It means um, that it won't make any sense to the people around you. It means that they won't be able to understand how you can have peace when your world is falling in on you. It means that you can be in the middle of a medical crisis, that you can be in the middle of a family crisis, that you can be in the middle of a financial crisis, then you can be in a crisis at work, and you've got complete and total peace. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And the people around you will say, how are you doing this? I don't get this. How is it that that everything's falling apart and everything's collapsing in around you, but yet you seem to have some sort of peace? Well, because I've got the peace of God in my life. Friends, this is not natural peace. It's supernatural peace. It's God-given peace. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And when fear tries to get in, that supernatural peace says, oh, no, no, uh uh-uh, I'm guarding this heart. I'm guarding this mind. And when anxiety tries to rear its head, that supernatural peace of God says, oh, no, I'm guarding this heart. I'm guarding this mind. You know, many of us have experienced peace like that. Times when we should have been fretting, times when we should have been anxious, times when we should have experienced deep concern and the peace of God rather just flooded in and took all that over and it just settled everything down and brought complete calm into our life in the middle of a really tough situation. And this is what God wants for us to have. But in order for us to get what Peter had, what did Peter have to do first? He had to take all of his fears, he had to take all of his concerns, he had to take all of his worries, he had to take all of his anxieties, and he had to cast that stuff, he had to give that stuff to the Lord Jesus. And he got the sweet peace of God in exchange. Now, I want to stop for just a moment and talk about the difference between the peace of God, which is what we've been talking about here this morning, this calm, and the peace with God. Because those are two phrases that occur all throughout the Bible, and we need to understand because there's a difference between the two, the difference between peace of God and peace with God. When we talk about peace with God, we're talking about Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, which reads, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, having been declared righteous, that is, having been declared righteous in God's sight, we have peace with God. God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, peace with God is legal standing before a holy God. 
That is that our holy God sees us and says, I declare that you are righteous. I declare that there's nothing between you and me. And friends, the way that we get peace with God is by putting our complete trust in the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross on our behalf. That is, we take the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross where he shed his blood, died in our place, and we put our trust in that for the forgiveness of our sins as the way that we get eternal life in heaven. And when we put our trust in that and what Jesus did on the cross, we get peace with God. Now, again, that's very different than the peace of God. The peace of God is an experiential feeling. It's something that we experience in our heart. It's something that we experience in our mind. When we are flooded with absolute calm, even though there is chaos and trouble everywhere around us, peace with God happens at salvation. It's done in a moment, in an instant, right? But peace of God has to be renewed day by day, moment by moment, as we move through life. You say, well, why is that? Why is it a day-by-day, moment-by-moment kind of thing? Well, it's very simple. It's because the peace of God can fade in our life. Our knowledge, our experience of the peace of God can kind of dwindle in our heart, in our mind. You say, well, why is that? Well, it's because we take our eyes off the Lord Jesus. It's kind of like Peter, when he was started sinking that night out on the Sea of Galilee, he took his eyes off of Jesus, and instead he started focusing, instead of his eyes on Jesus, he started focusing on the winds, and the waves that were blowing, and all the turmoil that was going on around him. And when he did that, right, down he went. That's what we do. We take our eyes off the Lord, and down we go. We start looking at our problems. We start looking at our obstacles. We start looking at the people who are against us. We start looking at the situation that we're in, how the odds are stacked against us. We look at everything going on around us, the wind and the waves, and we take our eyes off the Lord Jesus, and then, right, that's where we go. Down we go. Um, and all that peace that we had with God evaporates. You say, well, what do we do then? Well, you know, how do we keep the peace of God? How do we sustain that? How do we maintain that um, throughout life, in the moment by moment? Well, three things, and then I'll, I'll, I'll be done here. Three things. First is we remember the omnipotence of God. We remember the omnipotence of God. You know, when there's all kinds of things going wrong in our life, whether it be finances or family or whatever the issue is, medical crisis, financial crisis, whatever it is that we're dealing with, who is more supreme? Is it the unpaid bill or is it the God of unlimited resources in heaven? Is it the cancer diagnosis or is it the God who can heal perfectly and completely? Who's more supreme? So we need to remember the omnipotence of God. That is, we need to remember that the power of God is on our side, right? And that we can turn to him and appeal to him and that he can bring the resources of heaven to our, um, at, our, at, or at his disposal. Secondly, we need to remember the promises of God, the promises of God. God has made us some promises. And when we take him at his word, it restores peace back into our life, back into our heart. Promises like Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, a promise for finances. God says, and my God, and my God will supply how much? Every, every need that you and I have according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Promises like Psalm chapter 147 and verse 3, a promise about comforting the grieving. He writes, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That is a promise from God, that when we are grieving, when our hearts are grieving, God says, I'm going to come in, I'm going to bind up your wounds, I'm going to heal your broken heart, 
That's what I do. Promises like Psalm chapter 145 and verse 14. When someone knocks you down, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. How about when you're in danger? Psalm 91 and verse 4. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall find refuge. Verse 5, you will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day. And how about if your husband leaves you, or the father of your children leaves you, or how about the mother of your children leaves you? What does the scriptures have to say? There's a promise for you as well. Psalm 146 and verse 9, he upholds the widow and the fatherless. Now, you may not be a real widow, you may not be a real orphan, but the Bible says that God in that situation steps in and he says, I've got this, I've got your back, I'm going to sustain you. Friends, these are the kinds of things that we remember, the promises that God has made us that when we're going through difficult times and it will restore the calm, it will restore the peace of God into our life. Y'all with me? You say, well, what if I got a promise or what if I got a situation I'm going through, but there's not like some specific verse like that that speaks into my my situation? Well, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, which says, God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, friends, there is nothing that comes into our life that God has not examined ahead of time. That's what that Bible, that verse says. It says there's nothing that comes into our life that God says this will absolutely do you in. There's nothing that comes into our life that God has not beforehand taken a look at and said, They can handle this. They can't handle this. They can't handle this. I'm going to hold it back. I know that they can handle this. But friends, if you're going through it, God says you can handle it. And if it gets so bad that you can't handle it, the Bible says God will give you a way out. He will give you a means for escape so that at the end of the day, you're still standing. So those are some of the great promises that we have. So when we're feeling anxious or worried or unsure, We need to remember the promises of God, and it will flood our hearts back with the peace of God. Number three, and finally, how do we restore the peace of God on a daily basis? Number three, I'll finish with this. We remember God's faithfulness in the past. We remember his faithfulness in the past. You know, God got me through this. God got me through that. God got me through this. He got me through that. And if he got me through this and that, I know he can get me through whatever it is that I'm dealing with, we remember, right, his faithfulness to us in the past. This is why Moses was always stacking rocks up and why Jacob was always stacking rocks up. They did that because they were one of the people of God to remember how God had delivered them in the past so that they would trust him for their future. Y'all with me? Uh-huh. All right. Um, three things to restore the peace of God. We have to remember the omnipotence of God. Number two, we have to remember the promises of God. And finally, number three, we have to remember the faithfulness of God. It's like a little exercise that we have to go through. We have to counsel ourselves. Y'all ever counsel yourself? I have to counsel myself from time to time. Um, It's cheaper than a psychiatrist. Basically, you need to say to yourself, self, listen to me. My God is bigger than that person. My God is stronger than or has more resources in heaven than whatever issue that I'm in financially. My God's bigger than this diagnosis. So self, know that my God's omnipotent. 
And then we have to say to ourselves, self, you know, my God has made me some promises. And he's faithful to his word. And my God, self, is faithful to, uh, to execute on everything that he's done or everything that he said he would do. And so we just have to tell ourselves, get your eyes off of the stuff going around you and fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus. And friends, when we do that, when we put our eyes on the Lord Jesus, instead of fixing our eyes on the wind and the waves and all the stuff that's going on in our life, it will restore the peace of God back to us. Because the Holy Spirit says, there is a heart that is focused on the Lord Jesus. There is a heart that I can guard. There is a heart that I can protect. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us today from your word. We thank you for the example of Peter, who in total crisis was sleeping like a baby. Jesus, we need some of that in our life. Some of us have been going through some pretty difficult stuff and received some difficult diagnoses, are looking at a pile of bills, and Lord, we're just surrounded, it seems, by reasons to worry. Or we need your peace. Set our minds on your omnipotence. Set our minds on your promises. Set our minds on your faithfulness. Let our eyes be focused on you. So that, Lord, as the storm rages around us and we sit there in perfect peace and perfect calm, the world will say, how are you doing this? Something's different here. There's a supernatural event taking place. Lord, just speak your peace into our life today. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.